We are taking this five to six weeks as a church just to look at ways that we can be peace in our culture, in our society. That means in our friendships, in our workplace, with our neighbors, but also just internally with our family and with ourselves, just being at peace with our God and at peace with one another. We talked early in this study about peace is the absence of inner strife. It means that what we're filled with is not strife and tension and, and guilt and hate and animosity and grudges, but we're filled with the peace of Jesus Christ that runs through our very bones. Um, the things that we sing about this morning. We look around the world, we look around our culture, and we see that it's full of things like guilt, like shame, like self-loathing. Um, we, we look around and we see anger at simple board meetings and school meetings and in politics and wars around the world. We live in a culture that needs peace, and we need peace to pass understanding and transform our lives. James three seventeen through 18 says, Now, the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So God's people are called to be that type of people or peaceful people who sow seeds and reap that harvest of righteousness in our very culture. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's what? which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. A neat thing about that verse we've said a couple times during our study is, is that very first sentence, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. So when moments come when you're full of anxiety or worry or grief or tension or, or anger or frustration, rather than laying awake at night trying to sleep or not getting to get to sleep because you're just worried about it, stop. Take it to God in prayer. Take those three seconds before you respond in anger or frustration. or Take that to God in prayer. Be in relationship with the God who made you for relationship. Spend that time with him, and then his peace can fill your hearts, and that's what's going to extend from you to others. There were three statements that we made in our very first week in our study of peace. Just to review, it said, Scripture calls the people of God to be a people at peace, which means those of us who have, been, who have who've come to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior, peace should define us on the inside and the way that we engage with others. We also said, Scripture declares that through Jesus Christ we are able. Oop, my screen stopped. Uh, through Jesus Christ we are able to be at peace with God and therefore with people. So the peace that we have in our hearts because of Jesus is something we can pour out to the people around us. In other words, our cup is full; it overflows to others. And then finally, we'd said Scripture uh, speaks of this this attitude of of how the tongue and how our speech impacts people around us. The tongue, like the rudder and the bit and the fire creates turmoil. It creates turbulence. And we need to be careful what we cause with our tongue. And rather than stirring up those things that are destructive, we want to stir up peace. And the scripture from the psalm said that, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So that kind of brings you up to speed of what we talked about the first three weeks in peace study, uh, talking about being at peace. Now that fourth week, we did something really interesting. We We talked about cause and effect cause and effect. And we used three examples. We said the soil and the harvest, the well and the bucket, the heart and the mouth. Each one of these things will demonstrate the fact that 
What you draw out of the well is what's in the well. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. And we'd said that what's in the soil is always going to come out in the harvest, and what's in the heart is always going to come out what? Okay, the words we use, the, the, the sound that we blow through meat, right? That, that stuff that we do, it's going to reflect the truth that's within our hearts. And so we are going to encode our words with what's inside of our hearts. And so the illustration of the soil and the harvest is this harvest is simply that if you have bitter or you have angry or you have grudge-filled soil, if you have soil that is, that is contaminated, then the words of your mouth and the actions that come with it, they will be contaminated as well. And bitter people have bitter words. And joyful people have encouraging and joyful words. And grateful people have grateful words. And this is exactly the message that we wanted to make sure we hear. If we're at peace, we speak words of peace and bring peace to the relationships around us. And so uh, as we look to to chapter 6, verse 45 in the book of Luke, Jesus said, the good man brings good things out of the good treasure of his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil treasure of his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then last week, which was really an interesting week, we spoke about the gate. And we had said that anytime you approached an ancient city, you would approach it at the gates. And the gates were huge and they were majestic or they were fierce and fortified. But you always entered the city with that impression. In other words, that was the gate of the city. It lets you know how to interact with the city. Cities that were prosperous would have beautiful gilded gates. In Babylon, they were with lapis and gold. And you would, whoa, get the the impression of the city when you came. And so Solomon had this to say in Proverbs 17, 19. He said, whoever loves a quarrel loves sin. And whoever builds a high gate invites destruction. Solomon's example was simply this. Your demeanor is your gate. And the way that you interact with the world through your gate determines the way people are going to interact with you. And so some examples we looked at last week, that person who's always grumpy with this face on, how do you tend to interact with that person? Right? Right? What's he saying to you? Yeah, go away. I'm I'm in a bad mood, grumpy. And so if you interact with that person, you kind of reflect back. It's mirroring. I don't want to be grumpy back with you. And we had looked at this person and we said, what is she feeling? Sadness? Grief? Yes. But when you you see this demeanor, the, the body of Christ, Christians normally want to just step into that and go, hey, are you okay? Hey, we love you. How can I help? But a lot of times there's another human reaction to that face. And that that reaction is to just back up. I don't think I want to be a part of that. That looks like a gate of a city that's got a a lot of problems and I don't want to be there. And so we as Christians have to learn to step into situations like this and love people in the midst of their pain, of their frustration, of their hurt, of their grief. This this little uh, ray of sunshine, what's he telling you? (laughs) What's he saying? He's saying, you're wasting my time. I'm not interested in you. You don't matter to me. And this kind of a gate, this, well, how do you feel when you have somebody act like that to you? Resentful, resistant. I don't want to interact with that person. I mean, I, I keep my song to myself, right? You know, but, but then on the other hand, this, this really cool picture, what, what's your reaction to, to her? Hey, yeah, I, want, I immediately want to be her friend, right? That's why I thought the picture was cool. 
This is, the, this is what we want to do. We have a gate that invites people to want to engage with us. And the lesson we had learned that week was when we are at peace, our gates are open. And we welcome people in and we're open. And, and folks have the opportunity to talk with us and share with us and be with us. And we can edify and encourage one another. And so that was that lesson of sowing and reaping. And it really summed up in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, that went like this. You have been taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and a new life has begun. And in our new life, we're a people of peace. We're a people that can be at peace with God and at peace with our fellow man. And that's the thing that folks are going to find so attractive. They're going to find that to be a magnetic draw to the family of Jesus Christ if we can transform our demeanor and help transform our community by loving God and others. Now, this week, we're going to be talking about what's called constructing peace. In other words, relationships require work, don't they? Anybody ever had that relationship? You never had to work on it. It was just perfect all the time. You never argued. You never misunderstood each other. You know, see, we're chuckling because, of course not. All relate, except your marriage. That's just, don't worry about it. It's on autopilot, right? We, we understand that your relationship with your finances, with your spouse, with your boss, with your neighbor, with yourself, with your God requires work. And we have to construct relationships and reconstruct where they become damaged. So this week, we're going to begin with this illustration of the railroad. Uh, the author that we're working with um, had a really cool thing to say, so I want you to hear from the, the words of historian Omar Lavelle. Omar Lavelle is a Canadian historian, and he says it was called an act of insane recklessness. Prime Minister Sir John A. Macdonald, the first leader of the fledgling country of Canada, promised the colony of British Columbia, that, that's the, the West Coast for you Americans who don't know where the, your geography is, <laughs> Um, the province of British Columbia, if they would join the country, he would build a Pacific Railroad in less than 10 years. At the time, Canada was not even four years old and consisted of six scattered provinces with a total population of only three and a half million citizens. Yet MacDonald committed to the scarcely populated country to construct the greatest of all railroads in the world at that time. The Canadian Pacific Railroad would be longer than any line ever built, almost a 1,000 miles longer than the first American line to the Pacific, when the United States had a population of 40 million and had just managed to complete it. Furthermore, the venture presented great physical obstacles. The builders of the Canadian Railroad would have to forge their way west across a granite wasteland, muskeg, desolate prairie, and then somehow through the massive walls, towering, craggy, naked rock that made up the Rocky Mountains, separated, separating British Columbia from the rest of the country. Many Canadians agree that MacDonald's dream to connect the East and the West was one of the most foolish things that could be imagined. But on November 7, 1885, in the mountains of British Columbia, the last spike was driven on Canada's transcontinental rail line. The Canadian Pacific Railway linked eastern Canada to, and the Pacific coast to, and, and did so in a mere 54 months, almost six years ahead of schedule. It was an unsurpassed railroading engineering and building feat. A transcontinental railway joining all the province of Canada was Sir John MacDonald's dream. He hoped the track would bridge the distance, overcome the obstacles, 
and help people come together and connect as one. And it did. The iron rails overcame the physical barriers separating eastern and western Canadians. Like the construction of that Canadian railway, we can metaphorically lay tracks with our words. Have you embraced the Bible's vision for your connection? Do you believe that God is giving you the power to build something new? The idea of constructing relationships and the metaphor we use of the rail is going to be helpful today. And here's what we're looking at. If you have a car or a truck, you can drive just about anywhere, off-road, on-road, and, and you can pass things that you may never see again. And that's great. And that's just kind of freewheeling it out there, right? But the thing about laying tracks in the railroad is that once you've established that line, that relationship, you can haul a lot more freight. You can cover a lot more distance in a lot less time. And you can carry a lot more people with you and have more impact in established railways than just off by yourself going wherever you may desire to go in your off-road vehicle. And so we'll use this illustration here for the next few minutes to talk about how we can lay tracks in our own relationships that'll bring glory to God. The base scripture we're going to use today is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. And it goes like this. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called to this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. I want you to listen for some of these words today. If you're a note taker, these are some of the things you'll want to pull out of that passage in Peter. He talks about being like-minded, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble, exchanging blessings, and doing good. Those are how we lay tracks of healthy relationships. And there's some things we don't want on our track. That is, paying back evil for evil. We don't want to be insulting. We don't want evil speech to come from our mouths, and we don't want to use deceitful words or deceitful accounts in our relationships. So let's take our level, our illustration, as it were, to, to the first track, and that is going to be laying tracks of faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithful means being loyal, consistent, and steadfast. It talks about being true to the facts or, or to the original. Some phrases or quotes that might go with that would be, I know I can count on you, or she can be trusted. This is according to the plan. If we're faithful to the design, we'll build it this way. And if we're building tracks of faithfulness, it means that in our lives, we're going to construct relationships where there is a blessing towards one another. If we're faithful, it means that we enjoy the presence of one another. We're built up by that. And it means that being around those people, we, we lay tracks of sympathetic understanding. In other words, thinking about what it's like to be them and actually caring about the people with whom we interact. It means having humble expectations. That looks like being in relationships with people where it's not just about me. But we're being in a relationship that's back and forth, and I have a humble expectation of what I should deserve from them and, and what they should expect from me. It means serving with no strings attached. 
Now, how many of you have ever been in a relationship where it's not really reciprocal? It's kind of like anything they do for you have strings attached and they kind of expect something. Have you been in those? Somebody gives you a gift and you're like, oh, okay, what's this mean? You want something from me now. Okay, I came to your shower. Now you're going to come to mine. Okay, I get it. Oh, you raked four inches in my yard. I guess that means next time I better get four inches of yours. And so these are these serving. We don't, we don't do it with strings attached. We just serve people out of love and care. We lay tracks of listening with objectivity. How often do we listen with criticism or judgment? It means that we listen to one another with objectivity. Sometimes it means being just compassionate in your relationships, thinking the best of people and caring for them. And and it means staying invested even if relationships get difficult. As soon as the track starts to go uphill, you have to be the little engine that could, right? I think I can be a friend. I think I can care. I think I can love people. Even if it's challenging through these difficult times, I'm going to be faithful to them and stick with them. And that's what faithful relationships are built on. And so the next one we would think about are are tracks of honesty. Now, honesty means that there's no falsehood in our speech. Building good relationships by laying tracks of honesty means that we we don't have layers of meaning in the things that we say to each other. Now, ladies, that's for you. Guys aren't smart enough to do this, Um, but layers of meaning. My wife can say, well, she said that, but what she really means is this. I'm like, huh? But she said X, and she's like, oh, ye of little understanding. And so what I've understood is that the language skill sometimes means we say something that has layers of meaning, and we speak truth. Psalms 34, 12, what what, um, Peter was quoting, it says this, um, whoever would love life and seek good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those um, who do evil. So we want to make sure that we speak Uh, truth in our relationships. So how do we do that? I'm sorry, I lost my place on here. (laughs) There we go. Uh, We lay tracks of honesty by constructing relationships where our words are safe and straightforward. And we lay tracks of honesty by avoiding misleading one another, by leaving out details so that we can be the hero in the story, by exaggerating things that make us look better and others lesser, we avoid, uh, we, we keep honest relationships by avoiding exaggerating or twisting the facts. We don't distort the facts and we don't condescend to other people when we tell our story or, or make our case. When we engage with one another, this is the way we speak. We speak uh, as equals, we speak in truth, we tell the whole story, and we construct words that are safe and straightforward. These are the tracks of a relationship that are safe. You, are you with me so far? Are we, are we tracking? Okay. Oh, come on. That was good. Being tenderhearted means that we're quick to forgive. It means that we're swift to feel with others what they feel. And we're slow to anger. First Peter 3, 6 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. If we're going to build uh, relationships that are sound this way, we want to hear these words of Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 again. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and raising of voices and evil speaking be put away with you and put them away maliciously. Have, have no good intent when you put those things away. They're out, they're gone, okay? Have, have you ever had something you just couldn't wait to throw away? 
You ever had that in your house? Like that couch that hung around for about three years too long. You know, it's where the dog barfed on it. You just kept putting a Afghan or something on it, hoping that nobody will see the stain. Don't act like I'm the only one. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever had the, those clothes you just couldn't wait to get rid of? You know, the fat pants you finally got out of and you're like, yes, that kind of just me. Awesome. Okay. How about, how about something in your life you just wanted gone and it was gone. You're like, yes, don't even want to hear about it. I want to see it again. It's that stuff you put out on the curb for the trash to pick up and you're like, Boom, fine. And walking away from it, that microwave that rang a little too loud, that didn't cook hot enough. And you're so glad when it's gone because the new one's there. There's an, there's, a, there's an attitude that goes with that, and it's called malice. I want it gone. I want that away from me. And, it, and the malice is that you don't care how it's treated as long as it's gone. This is what Paul is talking about. He says, that's the attitude you should have about bitterness. I just want it gone. It's got to go. It means if I have to give something up to get away from it, I'm not going to be bitter anymore. And wrath and anger and raising of voices and evil speaking, get away from me. That's the attitude we're supposed to take and replace it with this. Be kind to one another. And what's that next word? Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. Tenderhearted means that we're going to construct relationships where we resist ill feelings or bitterness, hardness, or becoming closed off to people. You see, we get closed off because we have, we have failed to avoid some things. And here's the things that tenderhearted people must avoid. They must avoid grudges. They must avoid rumors. They must avoid hidden motives on your part or other people's. Put them away from you. Resentment, no, no, away from you. Jealousy or offense. Listen, here's the thing about offense. Are people going to act offensive? It's not a trick question. Turn on the news, okay? Engage with people at the workplace, drive. <laughs> people, people are going to be offensive, but it's a decision on your part to be offended, there's nothing says you have to be offended. Somebody can be offensive and you can just go, huh, let it go, move on. That's not what our culture is teaching today, though, is it? We're always ready to be offended and to have a hard heart towards people and to close them off. Brothers and sisters, that is inconsistent with the way Christians are supposed to live. We have to be tenderhearted and gracious, avoiding being offended, and as much as is possible with you, avoid giving offense to people as well. So that's the, the story of tenderhearted. But what about compassion? When we talk about compassion, this is perpetually looking outward rather than just thinking about yourself. It's looking outward towards other people. It's swift to feel what other people feel. It's sharing. It's, it's taking what you have and giving to others who are there in need. Rather than amassing for yourself and protecting your stuff, it's doing for serving. It's giving for other people. That's compassion. Neat thing. At Surgeon Bay Community Church, we actually have a fund here that's called our Compassion Fund. And here's what we get to do with the Compassion Fund. When people are in need because of your graciousness as a church, we're able in the office when people come in needing a hand, we can help. It's called our Compassion Fund, and it is so great to have that. Things that we get to do with it. Over the last month or so, we've had two different single moms who have come and just said, I can't make it work. The car is broken down. I'm 
out of funds. I don't know what to do. I'm at my wit's end. And we got to say, we got you. We're stepping in. The church has got you. We'll cover this. We've had some folks come in and have to get over their pride to say, there's no food in the pantry. I don't know how I'm going to feed my family this month. We got you. We get to jump in there and help. We don't broadcast names. You're never going to get to know who they are. Here's what you get to know. People have come needing help, and we're able to jump in there. We've had some folks who've had to give a little time to the state, you know, and they've come out and they kind of get, need to get started again, need to, need to get a job and kind of, you know, they've made their mistake, they've paid their time, it's time to get going again. And the church gets to step in and say, we got you, sister, we got you, brother, let's help you get going, let's not do that again, okay? Let's get off on the right foot. And we get to be there for that. That is exciting. When somebody comes and says, there's no gas in my car and I just need to get to the doctor in Green Bay. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't get paid for another week and we're at the end. We got you. You know what that is? That's compassion. It's asking this, what if I was in that situation? How would I want the people of Jesus to treat me? That's compassion. But now let's make it a little closer to home. Have you ever screwed up? I'll start. Has it, have you ever screwed up? Have you ever, you better get some hands up in here, a bunch of hypocrites. Okay. okay. <laughs> have, have you ever made a mistake and knew it? Like, ah, isn't that the best feeling? Yeah, it's so good. How, how, how's crow taste, right? So here's the thing. How do you want to be treated when you know you've screwed up? Do you want, you know, judgy McJudge face to encounter you and pound you down? Or would you rather somebody go, you're right. You did exactly that. That's a screw-up, wasn't it? Yeah, all right. Let's not do that again. <laughs> cool. All right, what do we need to do to make this right? That, that's how the family of Jesus Christ interacts with each other. That's having compassion on one another, thinking, how would I like to be treated? Here's another cool thing that goes with compassion. You want to you construct relationships where we serve other people with the gifts God has trusted to your stewardship? Then we lay those tracks by this, by giving being gracious. Have you ever stopped to think about how much God has given you and entrusted you with? Now, put a pause on this for a second, because as soon as I say that, we're all a bunch of loaded up Americans. And, and, and we make some assumptions sometimes that, well, they have more than me, so I guess you know, they must be a better person, or they must be a really wretched person, or, well, they have some kind of privilege that they gave them. That. And we start, to, we start to measure ourselves against other people and, and put people on their little tiers and pejorative pigeonholes. That tends to be our normal American way of doing things. Rather than doing that, I think we should do this. We should stop and take inventory of our life. Think about the things that we have and enjoy and stop taking them for granted and then give some of it away. Have you ever stopped to think that way? You see, we're trained in, in our culture, in, in, and I'm not dishing on capitalism. I'm just saying that it's the way we think as Westerners to amass and to secure and to have and to build fortresses around us and, and to secure ourselves and, and have better and best. And we do this all the time. But seldom do we stop and think, who can I help? You see, one of the reasons we tithe and we give as Christians is to constantly be thinking about what God has done for us so that we can give some back and trust God back with that. It's an act of humility and of surrender and of submission and of trust. And it's also a discipline that helps Christians stay away from being greedy and selfish. Because greedy and selfish happens fast. 
And this is one of God's ways of helping us with that. If you're not giving, you're being selfish and you're being greedy. Grow up. Understand that what God's trying to do is help you be a part of a blessing rather than be greedy. And this is a tough lesson for us Americans to learn, huh? Am I right? Is it just me? Or do other people feel, ooh, that's, that's tough sometimes to give sacrificially? Well, talking about compassion, it means we lay tracks of helping other people. We lay tracks by being present, not trying to fix it, but just being there sometimes. It means showing up in the best days and the darkest days. And it means actually caring about people, caring where they are, and just being there in the midst of difficult things. We had something really neat happen yesterday. Let me share a verse, then let me share a story. Galatians 6.10 says, so then as often as we have opportunity. Now, what's that mean? As often as you have opportunity. It means be looking for it and ready to act on it. Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul is urging the people of uh, Galatia to act like a family. The church is a family. Whether you're a member yet or whether you've been attending a while or you just kind of enjoy coming here, we're part of the family of faith here in Sturgeon Bay and in Door County. This is God's family, and we want to make sure we're always looking for ways to do good to others in the family. And yesterday, we had a neat opportunity to do that, didn't we? If you were there for removing the great tree on Friday or Saturday, would you raise your hand? How many of you got to be a part of that? Yay! We had a really cool thing happen. Uh, well, not cool for the flax, but the flax are on their, their three-week vacation right now, and we had a storm came by and blew down a huge tree in their backyard. And so we had a simple email went out. Laura, how, how many people responded? 15, 18? Okay, excellent. We had a big response from the family of faith that said, we're going to be there to help the flax. And so Mr. Murrock showed up with skid steer and equipment and, and, and who else showed up? Charlie showed up with a tractor and a chipper and, and at least 30 chainsaws. Dude, great collection. And, and all these people from our church showed up and something like 20 to 30 people from this church showed up and they took out that giant tree and we cleaned it all up and we got it gone. And it was so much fun watching the neighbors go, what? How did that just happen? How did you guys do that? And one of the guys who was there does tree cutting for, for a profession, and he said, I, you know, I'd have charged five to seven grand to get this tree out of here. This is a big, big job. And it was gone in four hours, three, three, three hours, the cleanup. It was, it was gone. By the way, if you have some time today, you know where the flax live over there on Hudson? We could still get some limbs drug into the trailer so Phil can dump it. It'd be really helpful if a few of you could just go drag some limbs. If you need an address, we'll have it for you. But it's compassion that says, if that was me, how would it feel if the family of faith gathered around me and said, we love you? Stay at peace while you're on vacation, family. Your church has got this for you. You don't need to worry about a ginormous expense in your backyard. We got this covered because we love you. You know what that is? That's being at peace in the family of God. That's how the church is supposed to conduct itself. And you see, when we're at peace and we demonstrate peace, the world around us sees that. And you know what the response is? I want that. They see the gospel lived out by the people of Jesus Christ. And that creates gravity. That's the thing that creates attraction to the gospel. Is the people of the gospel living out the attitude and the action of the gospel. By laying tracks 
of relationships where the gospel is manifest. Friends, that's what we're called to. What we're going to do now is spend a little time in, in prayer and a little tradition that we've gotten into during the course of this study has been that we're praying together as a congregation. It's great when the pastor prays or our elders pray or, or our worship team prays, but there's something beautiful about the saints of Jesus Christ being able to pray together and lift our voices. And so um, I had some, maybe some hints or some prods that we can look at, and I'll leave the sign up. I'll, I'll open us in prayer, and then I would invite you uh, to lift your voices in prayer too. Uh, elders certainly will jump in here, but, but I'm also asking you, people of Jesus Christ, let's pray along some of these lines. Lord, show us ways to construct new, healthy relationships. And God, grant us a picture of Christian community. Maybe somebody will be praying, um, free us, O oh God, from bitterness, from selfishness, from contempt from grudges, from wrath, from anger, from grief. God, give us this opportunity to be at peace. So I would invite you after I open us to spend some time in prayer and, and then I'll close us. So Father God, we, your people, your children, just gather now to ask you to join us. Lord, you've told us that whenever two or more are gathered, you promise to be amongst us. So God, we want to claim that promise here. Just reach out and hold it and ask. As we pray, as we lift our voices, God, would you, would you join us? Would you hear us? Would you bring change into our relationships?